بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله نعم ما يعظكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا صدق الله العظيم Dear respected brothers and sisters, firstly, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Brothers and sisters, we come to a day and age that the time is moving very fast and things are taking over us. And things are changing very rapidly. It took perhaps uh, maybe a hundred years for the age of the camera and photography to establish itself. It took about 30, 40 years for the TV to establish itself. It took about 20 years to, for the satellite uh, era to establish itself. It took only probably about five to 10 years for the internet uh, to establish itself. It took perhaps one or two years for the smartphone to establish itself. And now today, as we speak, is probably taking I know it has been created before, but with the latest hype, it's probably going to take a few months for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to probably take over the way we pay for things. Now, what I'm trying to highlight from this is that times are moving very fast, and sometimes we are lacking behind the basics of what we need to move in such a time with our children. Our children are equipped with, and they, um, we, have to, we have to stop pretending that our children uh, should have become like us. So a lot of the times you will hear parents bemoaning and saying that when we were small, we never used to do this. When we were small, we never used to do that. Just forget it. Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu anhu said, he said, awladukum li zamanin ghayri li zamanikum. He said that your children are for an age or an era that is different from your era. Okay, and we have to understand this. This is the reality. They are the children of the internet and they are the children of the smartphone age. You cannot hide that fact. When we were small, we never had all of this, fine. But our parents would have said to us that they never saw us, that they never had VCRs, they never had satellite dishes, they never had many other things. So we have to understand that we are now with these children and that's a fact and that's a reality. Bemoaning is not going to change anything. So what is it that we have to do? I'm going to tell you shockingly that already we've got uh, the, the crimes that are being, being committed through the smartphone in the last few years has uh, increased from something which was about 2 to 3 percent to 25 to 30 percent. What we're now talking about is that the police are dealing with a lot more crime through smartphones than they are with you know, what they used to do before. Right? What we're also seeing is a massive shift in the way we are communicating with one another. Yesterday, it was, it was really you know, important for us to have the BT Telecom and you know, the weekend that was free and the evenings that were free and our uncles and aunts were on there you know, from, from five or six o'clock or seven o'clock all the way till the evening. Today, parents are on their phones literally from the morning till the evening. Now, there is good in this and there is bad in this. Where there is bad in this is, is 
when if we can't actually have our own schedule for us as parents and if you can't have a schedule in the home and if you don't have rules in place then we will lose ourselves first then our children next and please don't think that our children are going to be lost before us no we lose ourselves first i will tell you right now if you have a rule in your house that you're not going to allow any technologies or let's just say the pads and the phones and the, you know, let's say smartphones and other things, uh, whatever it might be, it might be TV, YouTube, because these days even TV has been redefined. It's no longer a TV on a wall. It's the TV in your pocket. It's a TV on your smartphone, on your pads and so on and so forth. So TV has been redefined, what, what it is. And we're all in one way watching something or, 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 or not. So I'm going to tell you first is there's a rule that needs to be established, which is if you can do this, it's going to be very good. Monday to Friday, there is no reason why you need to engage yourself in any forms of technology for the house except for homework. Monday to Friday, there is no reason. There is absolutely no reason to, for these children to actually play on, you know, through technology. Now, you're going to tell me that it's a bit harsh. That is, well, no, I've established this in my house, and I will tell you that uh, it's worked for many years for us. And what you do is you replace the time for games with something that the family play together. So in my house, for example, I've got table tennis, I've got foosball, I've got a pool table, I've got um, you know, many board games. Because it's really nice to actually interact with the children as opposed to being in an individual environment where you've got a, you've got a joystick in your hand uh, or controller in your hand and all you're doing is looking at the screen. Even if you're playing a multiplayer game, you're still isolated with the people that you're playing with. Even in the same room, you're isolated because you're not actually looking at them. If you have a set timetable of homework to be done first, and then after that, you know, you have a little bit of games, whatever it is, and then they go to bed, alhamdulillah. Now, in that time, salah is a pillar that should never get compromised. I'm telling you that we're living in a time, la ilaha illallah, parents will pay 25 to 35 pounds tuition for their, for their children for math, science, GCSEs, you know, whatever preparation it is. But, you know, the... the uh, the, the mosque gets the bad end of the stick, okay? So if, if, if there's a book, Islamic book, that is to be charged, and it's like, Ya Allah, why is that Islamic book being charged for? You know, why are you charging for the Islam should be free. Islam should be free. My friend, that imam also has a home to go to, and he's got bills to play, pay as well. You know, just for a quick thing, what I said to one parent to get their mind over this, I said, this book is only four pounds. And they said, four pounds? Four pounds is a lot of money. So I said, okay, it's just the same price as a kebab roll. The kebab roll is going to go in your system within, within, you know, maybe 16 hours, it's going to be out, okay? But this book will give you and your child a lifetime's worth of Islamic education. So we need to change the mentality. Now, when it comes to actual, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to tuition, they will give that. But take, take a hold of this. Investment is going in, you know, year, you know, the, the, the 11 plus exams. Investment is going to GCSEs. Is investment to get your children in the best colleges, best university, which is good, alhamdulillah, very good. However, if you're doing that and at the same time you're, you're waking them up every morning, I will tell you this. Yet. Let, me, let me do a quick, th quick thing. Who generally, Monday to Friday, generally, right now in this hall, Monday to Friday, generally, you get your kids up on time you get them to school on time. If you do that, mashallah, please put your hands up. Come on. Guys, you need standard. Don't send your kids to school. Guys, I'm asking you, put your hands up high if you get your kids to school on time. That's good. Okay, that's good. That's, that's almost all of you. Now tell me this. 
which parents make sure that when you're getting your kids ready for school on time, you make sure every morning that they've also got time for wudu and fajr within the time of fajr, put your hands up. Now there you go, there you go. There's about a third of you or half of you that put your hands up compared to the first lot that put their hands up. This is the reality. If you're starting your morning and fajr, which is far from Allah, is not is nothing you know is something that can get compromised but the schooling time can never get compromised so what allah has said is is there are certain people yastaghfuna min an-nas wala yastaghfuna min allah they they have fear of of people they're aware of people but they don't have the fear and awareness of allah azza wa jal and that's not what allah azza wa jal told us to, to be like now if that's the morning let me ask you the second thing which is the night before, you know, some people have a problem of getting up for Fajr, even whether it's youngsters or, or, or elders. And the, the thing to, to ask is not why you're having a problem getting up, it's what time are you going to bed? That is the key question. If you have gone to bed the previous night before 11 o'clock, perhaps 10 o'clock, not only have you given your body time to recover, not only does your liver get a very good recovering, not only do you get good sleep, the best part of the night's sleep you will get is between about 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock in the, in, in the night, or perhaps till 1 o'clock. You will also feel refreshed in the morning, you will wake up naturally for tahajjud, and you will wake up in the morning and you'll be ready for the day. Okay? Now, early memories that I've got, I want to share with you, and I'm sure you've had a grandmother, a grandfather, or perhaps a father or mother who, who had this. And I'm going to share this with you because these were my memories. I had a grandmother who, when I was young, when I was really young, she used to sit on the musalla. She had her own musalla in her room, a little room she had, okay? She had the heater not right next to her. She would sit at the end of the day on her musalla. She had something called a wadifa, okay? Now, before you guys throw me with the bid'ah and, Ya Allah, Sheikh, wadifa, Ya Allah, like you, whatever you want to call it. Because in, the, in Sahih Muslim, certain sahaba had hizb. And his wasn't the Quran his, it was any portion of reading they had. And even Rasulullah mentioned in a hadith, he said, Whosoever has fallen asleep and was unable to finish their the collection of recitation in the night, then they're able to do it before the dhuhr of the next day. There's a sahih hadith in Muslim. Anyway, a collection of reading this grandmother had, and she would make sure every night for about two hours, she was on the musallah and she used to read it. Okay, She used to rock, she used to read it, and then she would finish, you know, uh, and you know those days they'd probably kiss, kiss it as well, place it. That's what I remember. She used to kiss it and she'd do her tasbih, put it aside. And then it was for her, you know, her she had a little bit, of, little bit of chat with my mother and then she would go to sleep and she would be up for tahajjud. My early memories of my father is he would wake me up for hivs. This was when I was about 12 years old. He would wake me up for hivs and he would wake me up at uh, about 5.30 and I would hear him crying after tahajjud taking every son's name, his daughter's name, which is my sister, and he would make dua, oh Allah, make my this son this, make my that son this, and he would actually be crying for half an hour after his tahajjud non-stop every morning I used to remember this. Now these are my memories, okay? Alhamdulillah, these are my memories of my father, of my grandmother. I'm asking you, are we living in an age where our children, they go to bed, but their memory is that I saw my mother on her phone, the last thing. I saw my father on his pad or whatever it is, computer, the last thing, okay? 
Then our children wake up in the morning and they see the mother asleep or the father asleep, or they know that they're getting up, but there's no sort of, you know, deen, hardly, except for the salah that is done like what Rasulullah said, kanaqriddiq. Because you can do different forms of salah. You can do a salah that you believe is your last prayer, or you can do a salah which you believe is just a tick box and you're getting it out of the way. And I will tell you, children know when you enjoy your salah, and children know when you don't enjoy your salah. They really know this. They know what your values are. If your values are GCSEs, they know that mom and dad, they want me to get my GCSEs more than the hives that they put me through. And I know some of us have put our children in hives, but they have calculated that. They know that as long as I do five Jews hives, then it's okay. And after that, even if I don't keep up with it, then they're not going to be so bothered. But I better get my you know, GCSEs done. I better get my you know, A-levels to, to what my parents want. Otherwise, I'm, you know, I'm not going to have a good life, all right? according to my parents. Right? They know the values. They've already measured the values. What is it that our children have seen from us that is something to do with the value system? And because when I studied uh, psychology, uh, I did an MA in psychology, one of the things we studied is the parents' expectations have a massive effect on the children's expectations. They've done tests on parents and they've done tests on teachers. And where parents have got a high expectation, their children end up having higher than normal expectations. And where parents have low expectations in any field for their children, their children also have a low expectation. And this test has been proved again and again from 1968. It's been done again and again, and the same results have come back. Okay? Now, I want to say to you, what are our values? If our values of deen become this, and I want to give you a quick summary. The value of deen is, oh, go and get your salah done. Right? If it's just that. And the child is doing the salah, but, but they, don't, they never see me do a salah with khushu. They never see me enjoying my salah. Then guaranteed the child will go up, down, up, down, up, down, and finish the salah. If I don't do my nawafil at home, if I don't do my sunan at home, guaranteed my children will not do sunan. If the mother is wearing a hijab on and off, guaranteed the, 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 the daughter will be at best on and off with the hijab, at worst no hijab at all. If the father is actually using foul language in the house whenever he gets angry, then the children have already put that in the system as bullets to be used next time they get angry. And when you start telling your children, hey, you know, you know, you start saying, what are you talking like this for? Then you've you got to understand that they learned it from somewhere, they learned it from us. And they take these things. And when I studied psychology, there's a whole social behavior system that many psychologists have put down as the, the children will look, they'll see, they'll copy, they'll, there will be a carbon copy of what they've seen. That's all. It's really not their fault. I have seen, alhamdulillah, houses, and this is not just, just you know, how I've set my house. I've seen many houses where salah time never shifts. They must drop everything there and then for salah. Now, if that's the case, alhamdulillah, you put a massive pillar of the deen in your house and its place. It's in its place. It's good for the parents as well as the children to have the salah never shifting from its place. No delays, no compromises. Salah time has come. Just drop it and get your salah done. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu would dismiss his governors if they went slack in their salah. Why? Because he said, once your salah goes, many other things will go out of the way. And if you look, I've seen this in a few cases, where a woman's hijab has become loose, 
She used to be very careful how she used to hide her hair whenever she came out. And over time, over perhaps five to ten years' time, this mother, I saw her, and her, her, her hijab became slightly loose. When I spoke to her family, I found out the first thing that shifted in the house was her salah. So what would normally happen is you compromise on your nawafil, you then compromise on your sunan, so you miss them more and more. Then you compromise on delaying your fard. This is a systematic thing that the shaitan takes anybody through. So you delay your fard, then you start missing your fard. So sometimes you miss the fajr, it starts with fajr a lot because you, you're, you know, you've slept too late last night, you're waking up too late this morning, uh, next morning. So what happens is Fajr gets shifted first and then Isha begins. So you get too tired sometimes for Isha. You give priority to things that are not supposed to be a priority. And the priority element is a very important thing for the entire family. Homework time, homework. Okay. Imam Shafi Rahimullah said this. He put it straight. He said, if you have everything all over the place during your day, then you're not going to be able to achieve everything. But if you put it categorically in its place, then you will be able to get it done. Imam Shafi rahimullah had a system where between Asr and Maghrib, he would revise 10,000 ahadith. Whether he actually recited all of them or he just went over them in his mind, he used to go over 10,000 ahadith between Asr and Maghrib. If you look at Rasulullah's time is 24 hours, you will find there's a, there's a daily system that you had. I want to say when kids come home, the system should be first, you know, eat together. Okay, eat together at the table, talk to one another. Next, what you do is get their homework, let them do the homework. After that, have some time for a bit of deen. Bit of deen, it only takes five to ten minutes. I will ask any family here, please, get a book called Riyadh Salihin. It's a book widely available. There's a good translation from Darus Salam. Get that book and in the house, five to ten minutes. Never more, than five, never more than ten minutes and no less than five minutes. You sit as a family at seven o'clock or something, whatever time it is, everyone's together. Open the book, let everybody read whatever hadith there is and just read the hadith and just carry on with reading the hadith. Where you don't understand the hadith, put a little marker there, come to your local masjid, talk to the imam and understand what that hadith was. But most ahadith in there are self-explanatory, they're quite easy. Five to ten minutes hadith, you've got have salah bil jama'ah. So if as a, as a father, if you're not going to the, out to the masjid and you want to get the discipline inside your house, then please have salah in the house bil jama'ah, with jama'ah. My ustad, Mullah Fadr Rahim, you know what he said? He said normally there's a whole debate about family planning. But he said in in this country, this is a 70-year-old sheikh that said this to me, who was from Pakistan, who led his whole life in Pakistan, but when he came to this country, he saw the, he saw the situation and he said this. He said, Hassan, he said, I believe family planning should be part of Britain. And I said, why? He said, because it's not because of poverty, it's not because the people can't afford to have children, no. He said, for one reason, simply, that we're living in houses that are, that will, are locked with us and our few children. If we don't have family planning, we will be living with one parent or two parents at the best in a house where tarbiyah was originally done by an entire clan. Okay, entire clans used to do tarbiyah. Grandfather was there, you know, uncle was there, aunties were there. He said, in this country, it's such that when the father's outside working, it's only the mother. When the mother and father both have to go out to work, it's nobody. It's a nanny or it's, you know, sending them to one house, to another house till they come out from work. And he said, if people have children 
and they're not able to just give me the minutes, just write the minutes for me. If people don't have, you know, if people have children and they're not able to have proper family planning and they're not able to do the tarbiyah, then he said there is a very clear pathway that their children could go towards uh, kufr, towards disbelief. And we've already seen this, okay? I'm going to ask you, brothers and sisters, a very big thing you have to do for your children is send them to a very good maktab system, okay? A madrasa system, maktab system, whatever you want to call, call it. And I want, to, I want you to do this. You're going to ask me, well, which one's a very good maktab system? It's a very simple thing. If you want to find out the best school, best madrasa, best boarding school, best local masjid madrasa, it's a very simple way to find out. Don't just go out, look for the adverts. Don't look out for, you know, who's sending all the kids somewhere no that's not the way to look out for it the way to look out for it is you go to the maktab or the madrasa okay and you go at seven o'clock or you go at the end whenever it is weekend weekday whatever it is when the parents are coming out just go and say salam to one of the parents say how many children have you got in here how many children have you had in here look for the family members that have had their kids in that maktab for five to ten years or who have graduated from that then ask them a question how was your experience how is your child is he praying his salah has he found that the deen is is enriched inside his soul in his body and so on and if they tell you the stories gather the stories from the local masjids all the madrasas and based on what you hear from the parents after school that's your best way to know what the madrasa is doing right don't follow any other advice and so on this is the best way to find out like if you want to go to hajj don't just go to these hajj sites no find out someone who went to hajj this year and just ask them what was your experience it's khalas and if you find multiple people telling you that the experience was good with one place, Alhamdulillah, just go with that. Do tawakkul and go with that. So good maktab system is, is really important. And please, I would say these madaris where you've got only three to four hours are not enough in my view. If you've got a madrasa in the week that's got seven hours, six hours minimum, I would say. If not seven hours in the week of time, that is a good sufficient time if they've got their, you know, if they've got their, their things together right, if they've got the whole educational system right. However, once the maktab system is there, our duty is not over. My brothers, I'm telling you this, I've really just got about three minutes left. I'm telling you this, in my house, alhamdulillah, my children have to say all the du'as aloud. You come in the house, say, Allahumma inni asaluka khayral mawliji wa khayral makhraji, bismillahi wa lajna wa bismillahi kharajna wa ala Allahi rabbina tawakkalna. It's become a normal thing. When we leave the house, when, when, when they eat, have food, when they finish food, when they wake up, when they go to sleep, all these du'as are there. Then when I'm taking my child to school early in the morning, he has to say his morning du'as. Okay? Asbahna wa asbahal mulku lillahi la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la. All these du'as in the morning, Allahumma that whole dua saying that dua and other duas that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa used to say in the morning he better say them loudly it's in his system it's in his system to say these duas apart from that tilawa and qira'a are two separate things in your maktab madrasa the, the, the teacher is concerned about the qira'a don't be a parent whose goal is to finish the quran from beginning to end that's qira'a tilawa is a continuous recitation that continues throughout the ages with my children with the children that i teach they, I've made it very clear to the parents that tilawah and qira'ah are two different things. Your child will never finish his Qur'an with me ever from beginning to end, no matter even if he's with me for 12 years. That's qira'ah. I will listen to that with tajweed very slowly. But your child, at, when he's learned tajweed, I will tell him to finish 
his Quran several times at home and he will not have he will not have a reason to leave the madrasa because he's finished the Quran that must be a part now every day get the tilawa inside the children that you know go away go and do your tilawa whether it's a page two pages whatever they can do tilawa is part of life now weekend comes a very brief thing in one minute weekend comes what do you do you have your system with homeworks and other activities and have the windows for them to play with shifts of not more than one and a half to two hours at any one time and if they play their games they've got the games of the console games and other things that they really want to do or they want to watch something they do that but everything must be controlled i will have to say to you look i've done this test again and again i'm not going to do the test right now one third of parents only one third of parents who give a smartphone to their children have a shared passcode Two-thirds of parents have no shared passcode with their 11-year-old or 10-year-old. I've done these stats over and over again, and it's always come at the same result. I want to ask you, those of you 66% sitting here who haven't shared the passcode with their youngsters, who I don't care up till 60. In fact, in my house, I've told my 13-year-old uh, he's not getting a smartphone till he's beyond 16. I'll just decide what day after 16 I give him his phone. Okay, all his friends in school have got a smartphone, but I haven't given. But I've explained it nicely to him. We've been, a, you know, I, I've had to spend a lot of time with him. If you're there, you're spending time. You're playing other games with him. You know, he's martial is very good at table tennis. He beats me. I have to say that, right? He, he, I beat him in pool, right? We're probably equal in foosball. We have other games and we have a laugh. So you know, the time is filled with other things. But he doesn't have a smartphone. The day he gets it, I'm going to have his passcode to it. Right now, I've got the passcode to his laptop. It's not because I'm spying, not because I'm making you know, life difficult, it's simply because he's too young to know how to navigate himself through life. We've given him independency, we don't go and spy on him, but now and again something comes up that he's joined the social network through his pad something, and then we have a nice word with him, there's no need of scolding him, no need of telling him, just talk nicely, as long as he's honest with us, Alhamdulillah, you can take the kids through that.